Folks, it's important that we understand that song that we've just sung. It seems very simple, but there's uh, something about it that I, I want us to be clear about. We've just sung, Jesus, we enthrone you. Jesus is on the throne. He reigns over the universe and over this world. This song's more of a subjective response to that, where we say we want to live in the light of that reality. Since Jesus is on the throne, I and we want to make him our king. Don't be, don't be in any doubt about it, that Jesus reigns. But our, our desire, I hope individually and certainly collectively, is to be a group of people who gather before the throne of Jesus Christ and say, yes, he is our king. And one of the ways we do that week by week is we pay attention to what God teaches us through his living word. And that's what we're going to do now for a few minutes together. I'm going to pray just now for God's help as we do that. So let's pray. Lord, there's a a very concrete reality that we've just sung about here. And that is Jesus Christ on the throne. And Lord, we have sung that we want him to be our king, that we want to make him king in our lives. Lord, help us now to do that by paying attention to to your word, seeing what it is that Jesus teaches, that we might hear him and obey. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've gathered here this morning as a church and there are quite a number of us who are quite clear in our own minds about what we think that that means, what that's all about. There are others of us here who who aren't quite so certain um, exactly what a, a church ought really to be about. It's interesting when you look at the Bible to see what the Bible talks about church, what sort of terms it uses, what sort of images uh, the biblical writers use. And the thing that strikes me when I look at them side by side is just how how dynamic and exciting they are. So one of them is that the the church is like a bride waiting for her husband. Now, I've seen people in all sorts of walks of life, but I don't know if there's any phase of life where people are more in anticipation, excited, focused than, than a bride getting ready for her wedding. That's the church. That's how exciting and full of anticipation the church is supposed to be. It's, it's described as a city, a place that's, that's bustling and thriving with people from all over gathered together, a place where everybody is welcome. The church is described as an active body. I'm not very good at this. I should have asked Claire for some details before I came up. Anatomy. When you start even for a moment to look at the, the awesome thing that a body is with all its parts working together. That's how the church is described in those sorts of terms. We're pilgrims journeying through a desert, going somewhere to a promised land. We're an army of God. We march with the sword of the Spirit in our hands. We're a light on a hill. We've already thought about that for the guys going out to schools. We, we shine We bring beauty and illumination into a dark world. So those are just some 
of the, the exciting and dynamic images of the church that, that we get in the Bible. So hold those on one side of your brain. I'm told that people have two sides in their brain, but I'm sometimes not sure about me. Hold those and think now, get in, get in your car mentally and drive around Belfast. Think of those church buildings that you pass. I wonder what people see when they walk past this church and other churches like it here in the city. I wonder what kind of metaphors they would use. I'm talking about somebody who doesn't come to church, an outsider. What do they see? How would they describe the church? What would their images be? Would they say that we're fossils? That we're something from the ancient past, somehow locked into our own museum piece churches? Would they say that we're tortoises? We're, we're so slow to move and so slow to change and so resistant. Would they say that we're spluttering candles? There's little if no light in this community for itself, never mind for others. Might they say that we're a, a cozy club, that we're dedicated to preserving our own slightly strange rituals, weird habits for spending our time together that we just perpetuate through generation after generation? By the way, we might, we might think that Kirkpatrick is a living and active church, but it's quite interesting to see what people outside think. A few years ago, I happened to be at the, the hairdresser just a, two or three doors up, and I said I was from Kirkpatrick Church, and, and she said, what? I said, oh, the church down, you know, three doors down in the middle. Oh, I didn't know there was a church there. How long have you been working here in the hairdressers? Oh, eight years. So that's the kind of impact that we're making in some people's lives. I was chatting a member of committee who was doing a wee bit of work on the outside of our buildings recently bumped into a passerby uh, and they struck up a conversation and um, the, the, the member of our church explained that we were having a look at our buildings and, and, doing, and the guy said, oh, I didn't know that place was open. I thought it was derelict. So, before we're too good to ourselves and imagine that we're shining way out there and, and everybody's seeing it and, and we're reaching people for God, the reality is people who look at, at our church and other churches like it don't often see much of this dynamic, this, this um, life full of excitement and anticipation that the biblical images speak of. So somewhere along the line, we've drifted from what God has called us to. Denominations are in decline. You'll know about that probably. Uh, church buildings are either closed altogether or sold and become restaurants or uh, nightclubs, whatever. I don't know if you saw it on the front page of the free newspaper in East Belfast this week. Um, a large Presbyterian church down in Ballymacarrot uh, will close next Sunday. That'll be their last time to meet for worship. So the Bible talks about the church as this dynamic community in these glowing terms, and we're faced with the reality of, of where we're actually living and finding ourselves. 
this is something that, that's been recognized in the wider church community. So if you're a church leader like me, what tends to happen is that you, you're approached by all sorts of people who can help reverse the trend. There, there's all sorts of help at hand for how you can uh, reverse the trend of a dying church. So I'll get lots of posts in about worship conferences where I'm basically given either explicitly or implicitly the message that if only you get the worship right and sing the right kinds of songs in the right kinds of ways, then all sorts of new people will flood in the church and start to love it. Then the architects will get in touch also, and they will tell, tell me how ripping out the pews and remodeling the church and making it a more comfortable environment for everybody is just going to revolutionize our church experience. It's, it's going to be so much better. Uh, either that or it's the, the sound and vision guys who say, you know, if you can get greater impact with your audio-visual, then again, all of a sudden, church uh, takes off and, and comes to life. Folks, there's probably nothing inherently wrong with, with any of those particular things. My concern is when those things themselves are offered as the hope of the church, the church's future, when they become the answer to a dying uh, church uh, denominations in decline, I think we're looking in entirely the wrong direction. The only hope of the church is to recover its absolute confidence in Jesus Christ and to learn once more to share the good news about Jesus in absolutely natural but powerful ways. That's our only hope. This autumn in our morning services, we're going to spend a number of weeks thinking together about this kind of a church. Back to the biblical images, we're going to be radical, and if you, if you know what that word really means, it's, it's not a word that means off the wall or, or, or scary. Radical simply means to go to the root. So we want to go back to the root and see what a church ought to be. We're going to ask ourselves the question, what kind of a community the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to bring into being? This is a time when we've been learning a lot about reaching out into our neighborhood. We've done that through church community and change. Um, and, and this seems to me just to be a brilliant time now to, to focus on our, our content of our message, our self-understanding, who are we? And we want to ensure that we become more and more a church that's centered on the, the good news of Jesus Christ. By the way, by being a gospel-centered church, I don't mean simply that we want to be a church that does evangelism. That, that's, not, that's not really what I mean. We want to be a church that in the whole of its life and, and in all of its activities is shaped by the content and by the commands of the gospel. It's only when there's this kind of practical commitment to being God's people when we're willing to put aside equally the dead traditions of yesterday and the empty fads of today and willing to go back to, to, the, to our roots, our, our biblical gospel roots, then we can be sure 
of building a healthy church here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. It's a cold, rainy night in November, and the Congregational Committee in First Ochnashach are meeting, and they're in full flow. What's on the agenda this evening? Well, the treasurer brings his report. The property convener brings his report. And then there's a discussion on the state of the ladies' lose, the price of church flowers. And the big item on the agenda for this week is what kind of china we're going to buy with the proceeds of a recent bequest. Now, those are all things that need to be sorted out. And church life will work better if they're thought about well. But is this what the church is really all about? Is it about keeping the staff paid, the activities going, the buildings open, the visitors comfortable? Or is there more? What should be our focus, our vision? as we make our plans. This morning we read a passage that I think gives us a a, a very clear insight into how Jesus would answer that question. What's the point of the church? Why are we here? Jesus, why did you leave a church on earth after you returned to your Father? What was the point of that? And Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first thing that we say about a gospel-centered church is that mission is at the center. Telling others, sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that's what Jesus commanded the church to do. And Acts 1 reminds us that that's the whole reason why Jesus left the church. Jesus gave them his spirit to, to make them able for that job, to empower them for that job. And I'm, not, I'm guessing that there aren't too many people here this morning who would want to argue with me or disagree with what I've said so far. Theologian Emil Brunner, he famously said that the church exists for mission as a fire exists by burning. So everything I've said this morning, we're making a mental tick. It's not really that different. But what I want to ask you to consider for this morning is is a problem. I think there's a gap that exists between what we say about mission and what's actually the case in our churches. Tim Chester tells of his experience of a friend of his who came to faith in Jesus. He said he looked forward with great eagerness to coming to his first church meeting. This was the moment when he had joined with others and together they would plot Satan's downfall. Or so he assumed. The reality was a big disappointment. The time was discussing, spent discussing what type of paper to buy for the toilets. Folks, that might seem like a funny story. But it's not, not a million miles away from reality. It's sobering, I think, to discover that people sometimes have the same experience here in Kirkpatrick Memorial. A few months ago, I 
preached a sermon here, shared from God's Word about Jesus' death and what it really means, what it really means for us and for a broken world. And one of my members asked me, not so long after that, Christoph, do people in our congregation really believe that? That stuff you were saying? I said, yeah. I think there are a lot of us who, who really do believe that. And the question came back, if we really believe that, then why do we live the way we do? Why does it seem so often as if we're playing at church? I, I could only really agree and nod my head. Folks, I don't know how familiar you are with North American culture, um, but through the movies we, uh, we have a good enough insight. There's a way of ending a conversation in North America where you, instead of saying goodbye, you say, let's do lunch. So you, you've maybe come across that. And the first few times you experience it in, in reality, you, you expect the person to call you back and arrange to make lunch. It's only the third or fourth time that it dawns on you that no, they didn't really mean that. Let's do lunch just means see ya. Conversation over. Goodbye. So let's do lunch carries about the same amount of conviction as our how are you's that we speak to each other walking on by, not at all interested in hearing how we are. Folks, in our churches, we often say, let's do mission. We know that it's the kind of thing we ought to say. We, we read about it in the scriptures. But I wonder if it carries any more conviction than let's do lunch. This morning, we're beginning this series, The Gospel-Centered Church. We're beginning by recognizing that, that mission must be at the center. In a sense, that doesn't sound very new, but I believe, certainly for me, there, there's something that God is calling me and, and us to that, that I think is different and new. A church like this will always have a place for mission. Uh, we'll always have, among our other committees, among our worship groups and our fellowship groups, we'll have a, a mission group might be one that's focused on overseas, might be one that's focused more locally. So we'll always have mission alongside other things that we do in the church. And I think for, for many years I would have been content with that. I would have thought, yes, that's, that's good. Let's keep things in balance. Let's make sure there's mission. But as, I, as I've spent more time in, in the New Testament, as I've read these passages, Acts 1 I've realized that that way of thinking just doesn't make sense of it all. Acts 1, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, go. Remember Jesus' words in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. This, this going out, this witnessing, this making disciples, this is the core activity so mission is at the center of everything that we do in church. Everything must be missional. Now maybe you're beginning to feel a bit uneasy about what church would look like. I'm not suggesting that the only thing that we do 
is proclamation, verbally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I am suggesting, though, is that everything that we do as a church works together to support this central mission of sharing Jesus. The way in which I teach, the way in which we train our young people, our praying, our pastoral care, our social action, all of these things are are missional in their focus. How do we share Jesus with the world? Folks, as I look around the church in Ulster today, I have to say that I thank God that I'm not a member of the majority of the congregations. Church life, as I look in on it, seems so incredibly dull. And if I'm entirely honest, I fear that our church life could be like that. And maybe for some of you it already is like that. Incredibly dull. If we imagine the church is somehow about getting in more people, building bigger buildings, facilitating more and more ministry, then I have to say I'm yawning already. I'm just not interested. Because it's not what God made me for And it's not why he gathered a church in this place. Jesus Christ gathers the church always for the same reason, and he's told us about it in Acts 1. It's that we might be his witnesses in the world, full stop. Everything else is an expression of that. It's It's a way of doing that, but this is what we do. Jesus famously said one time that there's great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents and comes back to the Father. Tell me this. Have you been around anyone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ recently? Have you enjoyed that experience? If you have, you'll know that there's nothing in the world like it. To see a person without hope a person destined only for death to be given hope and to be rescued into life. There is nothing like that. So why then do we settle in our churches for something so much less than inviting people to find new life in Jesus Christ? Why do we do that? I want to close this morning with an illustration from Tim Chester's book, The Gospel-Centered Church, which David and I will be using um, over these next months uh, as a bit of a framework uh, to, to think on this subject. Helping us to begin to think of what a church might be like if it was mission-centered, if it was gospel-centered, Tim Chester invites us to imagine so, so enter into this with me. Imagine that you're part of a church planting team 
in, in a very unchristian sort of a country, say, for example, Spain. And then he invites us to consider our answers to the following questions, and I hope I can show them to you on PowerPoint. So, so you've, you've left home, you've gone to, to live there in, say, in, a, in one of the large cities in Spain, Brazil, uh, Madrid, Barcelona, one of, the, one of the large urban centers, and your vision is to reach people for Jesus Christ. He then asks us to consider a few questions. I'll either be able to click this on or not. Okay, so you've arrived there. What criteria would you use to decide where you live? You're going there because you want to reach people for Jesus. So when you're standing at the estate agent window, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, where are the best schools? Um, Where are the leafy suburbs? No, you're not thinking that. We'd find out where there are people who don't yet know Jesus and we'd choose to live in the place that best allows us to connect with them. Isn't that what you'd do? I think it is. Sorry, listen, if we go back one. The second question, what standard of living would you expect? Now, you're, you're, you're absolutely clear in your own mind that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you want to share him with other people. What do you expect out of life? Well, let me suggest an answer. We'd expect to be able to live a simple life in that culture and we'd use our remaining resources to facilitate this gospel ministry. Next question, Lucinda. What would you spend your time doing? Seems to me you'd spend your time out with people. You'd want to get to know and reach people so that you can share your life and Christ with them. You look for every opportunity to meet people who don't yet know Jesus and explore natural ways of sharing the good news about him with them. Next question. How would you conduct your meetings together? So, if there are a small number of you and you've gathered together to do this work, how would you spend your time? Let's see. We'd spend our time reminding ourselves of God's call to share the good news of Jesus and encouraging each other for that work would make sure that was right at the center. And how would we pray? Let's see. We'd pray Jesus' prayer that the kingdom of Jesus would come in the lives of the people around us, that his will would be done in the lives of the people around us, that people would come to know Jesus. That's what we'd pray. Fire up the the next slide there, Lucinda. A gospel-centered church will approach all of its decisions with only one question in mind. What course of action will allow us to reach more people for Jesus? And if we fire up the last slide. Is there any reason why we should be any different simply because we're in Ballyhackamore rather than Barcelona? (coughs) 
Folks, we don't have time now. Maybe we'll do it again sometime to look at those questions again and let them... I was trying to illustrate something. But do you see how the church might be considerably different than it is if sharing Jesus was our, our priority? If it was more than just a priority that we, we spoke about, that we actually lived it out? If all our decisions were focused on this question? Things might look different. The gospel-centered church, a church that will never be dull, a church full of the, the power of God's Holy Spirit because it's doing the very work that God calls us to do. Let's pray. Father God, we've noticed before and been astonished before by your, your mercy and grace. Not only do you rescue us in Jesus, not only do you birth us into a new life, you now use us. We are your ambassadors. We're your agents. We're your, your spokespeople in this world. Lord, we pray that over these weeks and months, as we think together of, of what kind of a church the gospel of Jesus really calls into being, Lord, we pray that you would you'd help us to trust you. Help us not to cling fast, not to hold tight, not to stifle what your Spirit is teaching us and saying to us. Help us to open up, to hear you, and to respond to the promptings that you're placing in us. Lord, thank you that you love us. You want to do us good, and you want to build a, a beautiful, shining light here, and you want us to be part of that. Use us for your glory, we pray. Amen.